Good morning to each of you. Uh, I don't know <clears throat> what, uh, what each of you experienced this week. Um, we uh, went on a driving trip, almost just flying, but most of the time we were on the ground. Uh, except when the wind was too strong and it felt like we were uh, floating sideways. But we're grateful to be back. And um, um, so one of my thoughts this morning uh, is uh, the brevity of life. And, and um, I was telling Laura before, the service started that uh, if it wasn't for uh, the resurrection of Christ, I think I think um, life would be uh, I don't know what word I used. Maybe I said discouraging. But uh, this this is uh, we're in uh, Colossians one this morning, and the focus is on the description in Colossians one of Christ's person and work um, in, his, in relation to the Heavenly Father. There are comments about his relationship to the Father and his relationship to creation and, and his relationship to believers, who he, who he is in, in relation to these different uh, people, persons, or entities. And uh, the first thing I want to say here is that I'm sorry that my um, sermon will not follow the order in your notes. I, I know that's probably inexcusable, uh, but um, I'm starting with verse 13 instead of verse 15, as it looks like in your notes. But uh, the material is the same. Um, so let's, the, the verses up here... Um, it's parts of two verses. Um, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And <clears throat> I wish, I'll just say this, I wish that I could uh, communicate to you um, uh, I'm struggling for the words. Uh, maybe, maybe how delighted, or enthused, or uh, impressed. That's not strong enough. <laughs> uh, I can feel when studying these kind of verses when they talk about who Christ is. It's like. This is just uh, beyond any, anything anybody can make up or imagine of how, how delightful this Jesus Christ is, who He is, and uh, what He's done and what He can do. Yeah, thank you. It, it is uh, really... Yeah, um, 
I guess I'll just say it, it can uh, become a very emotional experience. So Paul's goal in these verses is to show that Christ was both human and divine. And, and his goal in that is because there are um, tendencies in uh, Colossae toward heresy. And we're not sure exactly what all the heresy included, but he's addressing some issues. Uh, and so he focuses on Christ was the creator, and he has supreme authority over everything he created. And uh, the, so the theme in Colossians 1 is, and in Colossians 3 as well, the theme is the fullness and preeminence of Christ in relation to his natural and spiritual creation. So we start here, uh, I'll start in verse 13. Um, well, maybe I need to start before. There's no good place to start. Okay, I'll start in verse 9. I'm reading from the New King James. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all the patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Okay. Yeah, I feel like I need to pause there. The son of his love. In whom, in the son of his love, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. There's a lot there. That wasn't all of it, but there's a lot there. So he says uh, he is the redeemer. And uh, these verses immediately follow Paul's statement that he gives thanks to God for them, for their faith, love, and hope. 
and his declaration that he prays for them. I've mentioned all of these in the previous sermon. He prays for them that they may be filled, they will be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so they can walk worthy of the Lord. So this uh, being being filled with God, with spiritual wisdom and understanding so that, so the result would be an upright, worthy life, walk. And then verse 12 says that the Father has made us meet, is the King James, or he has qualified us to be partakers of or to share in the inheritance of the saints in light or uh, the holy ones. And verses 13 and 14 deal with four main words then. Uh, deliverance, translation, redemption, and forgiveness. And uh, these words are uh, very closely related, and I'm not going to try to distinguish too much between them. So deliverance. We are delivered. The idea is rescued. And we are rescued from the power of darkness or the domain. Dominion is the idea of darkness. And uh, this reference to deliverance from the darkness presents a sharp contrast with the statement at the end of verse 12 that the Father has qualified us to be saints in light. So there's a contrast between the darkness of the dominion of Satan and the light uh, for those who have been qualified uh, to be in this other kingdom. So delivered means rescued from, preserved from. Uh, It can also have the idea of guarding, protecting, Uh, So this deliverance or rescue involves a change in ownership. That's how it's described here. A change in ownership and a deliverance from a bondage to Satan. The Father qualified us to be children of light by delivering us from the dominion of darkness. And this is an act of God. This is not something any person can uh, manipulate himself into. This, this is the work of God. So the dominion of darkness theme uh, sounds like Jesus' statement to those who came to, I was, I've been reading the uh, Gethsemane account this week. Well, it sounds like Jesus' statement to those who came to apprehend him in Gethsemane when he said, when I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the dominion of darkness. And uh, his words refer to the sinister forces marshaled against Christ for a decisive combat 
in the spiritual realm. And uh, during that battle, we all know, according to Scripture, Jesus was killed. Uh, but then there was a resurrection, and Christ vindicated his authority to raid. I'm saying all this intentionally this way. His resurrection vindicated his authority to raid the domain or dominion of darkness and rescue people and transplant them into the kingdom of light. And I believe this is called uh, imagery, if you please. So that's rescued. And then the word translated. We are translated, uh, the idea of transferred, uh, transplanted, from the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of his beloved Son, the, the kingdom of light. And Christ becomes the master, and the believer in his resurrection, he becomes the master, and the believer is rescued from the darkness and the evil of the devil's kingdom, and placed in the beloved son's kingdom, or another way to say it, the, uh, the son of his love. Uh, I, I think it's helpful uh, to stop sometimes and actually think about what the Scripture says. I, I mean, that might sound trite, but uh, <clears throat> to think about uh, the Father's view of the Son, that He is the beloved Son. Rescued from the darkness and the evil of the devil's dominion and placed in the beloved son's realm, now which, uh, which would you rather be in? <clears throat> I'm not trying to be mean. It's just, which would you rather be in? A realm of darkness in the devil's kingdom or in the realm of the um, beloved son, the son of the father's love. And this transfer, I believe, takes place at conversion. And again, it is an act of God. It's something he does, and we do not have the power to do for ourselves. And then the next word is redeemed. Uh, First part of 14. It means to be delivered or to be freed from bondage uh, as a slave who might be purchased and then set free. And according to this verse, redemption is possible because Christ died on the cross or gave his life. Uh, the Greek text does not uh, refer, doesn't say anything about Christ shedding his blood. I think that's what the King James says. Doesn't say that. The Greek text doesn't, but other passages do. 
like Ephesians 1, 7 says that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace. And Romans 3, 24 and 25 says being declared righteous freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God did set forth as a mercy seat through the faith, through faith in his blood, for the showing forth of his righteousness because of because of the passing over of the bygone sins and the forbearance of God. Uh, so the point here is that our redemption cost Christ Christ his life. His life blood. And the life, according to Scripture, is in the blood. And Christ gave his life, gave his blood, his life blood. So because of the death of Christ, we can be delivered from Satan's bondage and be transplanted into the realm of the beloved Son. This is our privilege, the place uh, we can occupy. Uh, with Christ in the uh, in this realm, the freedom from bondage to sin is possible only as we accept Christ as our Savior and our Master, and surrender our daily existence to Christ. And uh, I just want to say, you know, there there are things. Um, that people experience bad things uh, inside themselves, uh, spiritual things, and there are also good things people experience as they uh, surrender to Christ. And and the one thing I have learned, I think by now, is that there are a lot of things that people experience that they don't talk about. I think I think um, I think we would all be encouraged, and our love for Jesus would grow if we were more aware of the grand and glorious things that that Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Father does inside people in in their moments of uh, struggle with the devil. Um, so I'm just I'm just going to tell you one experience I've had with someone. Um, I've had the I'll, I'll call it the sacred privilege uh, of praying for people about their bondage to Satan, and maybe I should say first I am not some grand whatever kind of person when it comes to these things. Um, I've had the privilege to do it, and maybe I was in situations that it seemed like that's what needed to happen. Uh, some of them, some of these people, uh, were able to see their bondage inside themselves 
such as seeing themselves being wrapped up by a rope by Satan, and then doing prayer, seeing Christ come and un, um, unwrap the rope around them and wrap up Satan and take him away. And if, if that doesn't uh, excite you and uh, impress you that who Jesus is, uh, I'm not sure what could. Uh, so, this is what it means to be redeemed, to be rescued, to be freed from, literally, bondage uh, to Satan. And, of course, this has many um, results in our lives. If that has happened, it's happened. I don't mean that particular story, but that Christ is working in us in this way. The next word is forgiven. We are redeemed, verse 14, which results in forgiveness, even the forgiveness of sins. And uh, forgiveness means to release from obligation, uh, to free from punishment, to let go or send away. And it's uh, similar, it's a similar idea to what is meant when I, you, forgive someone. We release them. Um, the New Testament view of forgiveness is that it removes the whole person by freeing the person from the guilt and the power of sin. So now we're at verse 15, uh, which uh, starts there with, He is the image of the invisible God, which is a challenging way to start. Uh, Colossians 1.15-20 is a hymn, perhaps a primitive confession of faith. What we see here is that Christ is the agent in creation, the Lord of the universe, the Lord of the church, and the agent in reconciliation. Uh, the mention at the end of verse 13 that believers are transplanted into the kingdom of God's beloved Son naturally flows into this hymn or confession of faith concerning who Christ is, this wonderful person. But Christ is the image of the invisible God. What does that mean? Well, image does not refer to a physical form, but rather to Christ being the illumination of or expression of the same character and qualities as the Father possesses. In Christ, the nature and being of God has been perfectly revealed. This, these, this is the teaching in Scripture that the Son reveals the Father. It is a perfect expression of the Father. And this, this is the same thing that is meant when the Bible talks about the believer growing in or expressing the image of Christ. It's talking about the believer 
about believers developing and accurately expressing the character of Christ. This is what Christ is doing in relation to the Father, and it is what we are doing in relation to the Son. And this all sounds similar to Hebrews 1.3, which says that Christ is the exact uh, representation of the Father's nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. And it's very similar to John 1 as well. All things were made by him and so on. There, there are various places in the New Testament where, where the theme is the same. That who, who Christ is in relation to the Father and and his work because of who he is. Then we have the last, beginning of the last part of verse 15. Who is Christ in relation to creation? He is supreme over creation. He is the firstborn of all creation. Uh, perhaps the firstborn before all creation could be does not mean that Christ was the first one created, but that Christ existed before all things, and that he is the one by whom the whole creation came into being. And this passage presents Christ as the source of and uh, having supreme, being supreme over all creation. So what right does Christ have to be supreme over creation? So we have uh, reasons given here, actually. Um, he was the creator of all things. So he is the source of creation, according to these verses. He is the agent of creation. All things were created through him. He is the goal of creation. Everything is for him. Everything fulfills his purpose. And, and the idea is that Christ is working in creation to bring um, everything that he has created uh, into the fullness of its purposes. the goals that he has for creation, he is working to fulfill. And I know, and I'm sure you know, uh, this, this can be a very um, puzzling, almost a confusing, a very puzzling thing to ponder how in light of um, the weeds and um, I am searching for the words. Oh, in light of the weeds and the global warming and whatever else you and I might think or anybody else is the reality in our world which we may not really know what the reality is in our world. But in light of all of that and what we hear, it can be very puzzling to understand how Christ could possibly be working to bring his creation to an end that pleases him when everything seems to be falling apart. 
And and what I want to say is that for myself, and I, I want to say this for you, uh, we are really called to to trust that Jesus is actually Jesus Christ is actually doing this, rather than uh, fall into hopeless despair that that everything is a disaster. Um, okay, he is doing this thing that that he says he is doing to bring all creation to the fulfillment of its creative purpose. Uh, verse 17, Christ is supreme over every creature because he existed before in the creation. Uh, the last part of 17, he is supreme because he is the sustainer of all things. And the King James uh, term is by Christ all things consist. And the word consist means literally coheres. Uh, in Christ, every his creation is held together. I, I don't know if that means, um, I don't even know what words to use. I don't know if that's talking about the atoms are held together or I don't know. Um, I'm thinking whatever it is that makes matter. Uh, not explode. Uh, this is what Christ is doing. He maintains his creation. Creation endures. is held together, but because of Christ's intimate care. And uh, perhaps that's why when he died, there were so many physical um, evidences. The resurrected living Christ who died to redeem his people is the sustainer of the universe and the unifying principle of its life. And this is a direct attack of the Colossian heresy that matter is evil. That was one of the insidious underlying thoughts. The universe endures because Christ is intimately involved, because he is taking it to, its, to his goal, his purpose. And then we have this idea that Christ is head and ahead and, uh, and is the head and the body is the church. And Christ is the head of the church. Head of the redeemed of the saints, verses 18 and 19. So the idea of the church being the body of Christ is found in other passages, Romans 12, one body in Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, one body with many members. And the many members make up one body. By the same spirit, all the members are baptized into the same body, Jews and Greeks. Greek, uh, male and female, etc. Uh, so, you are Christ's body. But Christ earned the right to be the head of the church by his death and resurrection. So, what is the meaning of Christ being the head? Uh, perhaps our first thought 
is that Christ is in charge of or is the boss of the church. But I believe the primary meaning is that Christ is the source of the church's life. And the second thought is that Christ is the church's Lord. So he's the source of the church's life, and he is the Lord or Master. And Christ accomplished this work in his earthly body, and the church is Christ's earthly body. Doing Christ's work in the world. Then, then we have this um, maybe strange-sounding statement that Christ is the beginning, the firstborn. And what does that mean of the church? It's not talking about first or beginning in relation to time, but the first one to experience and demonstrate this kind of resurrection life, this kind of power over death and the devil. He is the source of a certain kind of life, a resurrection life, and this he communicates this through his people, his body. Firstborn is also talking about Christ being the first fruit of more of the same kind of fruit, the source of more resurrection life to come. For Christ to be the firstborn from the dead means then that Christ is the first fruit of the dead, and this gives him the right to be preeminent in his Lord of the church over those who have experienced his kind of resurrection from the dead, because he's the source of their resurrection from the dead, over those who will be resurrected from the dead at his return, as he has been resurrected from the dead himself. And uh, <clears throat> in our day of uh, funerals, uh, which there will be another one this week. Um, Alan Brock. People we have known, relatives. Um, it's a good thing we have the promise of a resurrection from the dead. Well, not only to have a spiritual resurrection, but a physical one. Verse 18, um, and he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that, it, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Uh, I think the King James says might have or might be preeminent, might become um, is the idea the reason Christ rose from the dead was so he might become preeminent, become first, become head, become the source of the church's life. Might come to have first place in everything. And then we have this verse 19 that says that all the fullness of God dwells in Christ. A glorious thought. So verse 18 says that Christ arose from the dead with resurrection life, and this gives Christ the right to be preeminent, because in him it did please all the fullness to dwell 
or tabernacle is the idea. So the idea here is that all the fullness of God dwells in Christ in bodily form. All the fullness of God abides in Christ, tabernacles in Christ. And all that are in Christ have access to this fullness of God, the fullness of the riches of God's grace. Salvation, wisdom, spiritual knowledge. We do not need a special uh, revelation. And maybe maybe you are like I am, and um, periodically, I, I have done this at various times, um, felt motivated uh, to ask God to... Um, work in me so I can experience spiritual things that I have not before. <clears throat> One time, uh, we were living at the farm many years ago in a former life, <laughs> uh, in the basement where my office was, study, I prayed for a while, and I was, I was uh, asking the Lord if he might want to uh, allow me to speak in tongues. And I'm not sure it's even good for me to say more about that, whether I did or didn't. You know, it's quite a uh, uh, maybe controversial subject. But I think it's appropriate to pray and give God permission to to grow in me whatever spiritual reality pleases Him. And I've done that a number of times. But I will say, as far as I know, I haven't spoken in tongues as described in Scripture. Uh, And maybe I should say this. uh, I don't believe Scripture teaches that that makes me unsaved or a second-class believer. And that's not the subject for today. Um, So, the fullness of God dwells in Jesus, and the fullness of Jesus dwells in us. And that doesn't mean we always experience it. No, we are not God. We are still human and have whatever it is that makes up our uh, characteristics and how we function as humans, but we have this uh, potential. And then the word reconciled. Christ is the reconciliation, verses 20 to 23. Not only did it please the Father to dwell in all his fullness in the Son, but it pleased the Father to reconcile the world to himself in Christ. So, Christ's reconciling work brings harmony, peace, fellowship, and uh, we have here the need for it, alienated and enemies, uh, uh, because of their wicked works. Um, thoughts in their minds, the guilt that people feel. 
uh, the means of reconciliation. Christ himself is the means through the blood of Christ's cross. Christ reconciled us in the body of his flesh through death, verse 21. 22, the purpose of this statement is to show that Christ reconciled us to the Father by a work that he did in his human body, in a body of flesh. And that's an attack of the erroneous idea that matter is evil and Christ could not, therefore, have had a human body, just appeared to have one. So the scope of reconciliation is all things or all creation. And uh, <clears throat> that, that's a puzzling statement, too, and hard to uh, okay, hard to reconcile. Uh, you know, there are, there are statements in Scripture that seem to contradict others. And so we are human and we don't know what to do with them. I don't know exactly how this is supposed to work. Because reconcil- reconciliation, all things, all creation, and, um, and maybe some people would think all people. Uh, but the Bible is clear that not all are saved. So we have this tension in these ideas. Uh, Romans 8, for the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And we are uh, presently groaning. There's a groaning going on and prevailing in pain. Uh, But there will be a deliverance, a redemption even of our bodies. And uh, so we we don't fully understand this reconciliation. The goal of reconciliation is that Christ may be able to present us holy to God. Uh, Set apart to God, set apart from God. Sin, unblameable, uh, means unblemished, blameless, and unreprovable, um, irreproachable, uh, can't be called into account, nothing laid to one's charge. And so that's a blessed place to be because of being in Jesus. And the basis of continued reconciliation, it says here, if you continue in the faith. Uh, <clears throat> uh, it's talking about present active, as you, uh, since indeed you do continue in the faith, in the present, uh, you are being reconciled, and uh, you are being uh, vindicated. And the devil cannot hold a charge against you before the Father. Um, so we have been we have been called in, in our in our salvation, an ongoing being kept by the Father in Christ. Um, we are being reconciled, and and we belong. Uh, to Christ in his uh, 
to his beloved son, Hagar. Um, then in Colossians 2, the last part of the verse up here on the board, um, again we have the thought there that in Christ are all the treasures of the wisdom and the knowledge his. And so Christ embodies the fullness of God and the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and everything necessary for life in this world. And the next is in Him. And we can trust Him in this. So Christ is the eternal Son, an exact expression of the Father, the creator of the universe and the one who holds the universe together the creator of humans. He is the human baby, born of a virgin who died on a cross to save us from our sins, the redeemer and sustainer of believers, the source of the life of the church. And Jesus Christ deserves your and my worship and love and our heart. And he knows how to take good care of our hearts. The fullness of God dwells in Christ, and the fullness of Christ dwells in believers. If you are a believer, you have been rescued from the dominion of Satan and transplanted into the kingdom of his beloved son. You are a beloved son or daughter of the Father because you belong to the beloved son. God does this through the redemption and reconciliation made possible by the death and resurrection of Christ. Christ's teaching life, death, and resurrection is the foundation of Christianity. And you can enter into an intimate, surrender-to-Christ relationship by yielding your heart and life to Jesus Christ. And in your yielding, your life can be different. Uh, not maybe all in one day, but it can become different. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day in your presence in our hearts and your work by your Holy Spirit. And thank you for your word. And Lord, we depend on you to work in our hearts to accomplish your purposes in relation to this scripture. I pray you would bless each of us, uh, fill us with uh, joy and peace in belonging to you, and I pray that you would work to change us as you did from day to day, and thank you, amen.